Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. In those words, the New Testament introduces us to one of the most noble men you'll find in the gospel record. Andrew is one of those men who might have been regarded as great, except for one small thing. Andrew was overshadowed by the dazzling greatness of his brother, Simon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, never started anything particularly outstanding. He never said anything particularly remarkable. We find nowhere that he ever asked a particularly profound question. He never did anything that was particularly daring or heroic. But he was the type of person every church has to look to if progress is going to be made. Andrew was not one of the inner circle of Jesus' apostles. But folks, in the way that heaven measures greatness, Andrew was a truly great man. A well-known preacher one time was asked by an acquaintance, well, what did you preach on last Lord's Day? He said, well, I preached about Andrew. He said he found Andrew to be a most interesting individual. He remarked that every time he looked at Andrew, and as he studied the life of Andrew, that every time Andrew is mentioned in the Scriptures, he's introducing someone to Jesus Christ. The greatest thing an individual can do is not to be a theologian or a scientist. The greatest thing an individual can do is not to be President of the United States. The greatest thing an individual can do is bring someone to Jesus. And that's why I believe that Andrew is entitled to be called a great man. Andrew is often spoken of as commonplace. I've heard a lot of preachers preach sermons and refer to him as Andrew the Ordinary. And all of that may be. But there is absolutely nothing ordinary and there is absolutely nothing commonplace about the soul winning of Andrew. After Andrew had spent the day with Jesus, the very first thing Andrew did was he brought his brother to Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? It was Andrew that brought the lad with the five loaves and the two fish and introduced him to Jesus. When those Greeks had a thorny problem and they went to Philip and Philip couldn't handle it, Philip said to 
and told it to Andrew, and Andrew took those Greeks to meet Jesus. Andrew had the good sense to ally himself with Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the Gospel according to John, we find Andrew as a disciple of that rugged frontier preacher, John the Baptist. And there was no doubt others in that day and time who were occupied with worldly interests. But Andrew was concerning himself with the higher matters of the soul. John the Baptist preached unsparingly against sin. John the Baptist did not offer any kind of a cheap religion. But Andrew was a man that was willing to travel the high road. There was nothing cowardly about this young man. And yet, you think about this. You think about how folks generally rebel against new ideas. Did you know that bathing in a bathtub was once denounced by the medical community as a corrupting luxury? I've been around folks that I think still believe that, but anyway, that's another story. When the inventor of the air brake first suggested his plan for an air brake to a railroad president, the president of the railroad pronounced the man a lunatic. Do you remember hearing of a doctor by the name of William Harvey? He never practiced around here. But he was the one that developed the theory and believed that the circulation, that the blood actually circulated through the body. When he announced his theory of the circulation of blood in the body, his lucrative medical practice dropped off dramatically because people thought he was nuts. It was a new idea. But Andrew followed this rugged outdoor preacher by the name of John the Baptist. And then one day, near the Jordan River, Andrew's walking along with John. The early morning light is flooding the Jordan Valley with its sunshine. And John's eyes catch sight of a white-robed figure silhouetted against the blue sky. And there was an awe in John the Baptist's voice. There was a reverence in John the Baptist's voice. And he said to Andrew, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. From that point on, Andrew followed the Lamb of God. You see, folks, Andrew is seen as a man of decision. And that's a quality of life you very seldom see in folks of just ordinary caliber. Because that's the mark of a leader. He heard the call of Jesus, and hearing the call of Jesus, he followed and finding the Master 
Andrew became his disciple. So what? So what if he can't create the lovely things that an artist can create? And so what if he can't utter profound truths? He can do something much greater than create beautiful works of art or utter profound truths. Andrew can see the beautiful. And Andrew can see the good. And he can love them both and decide to cast his lot on that side. You see, Andrew was a man of action. And Jesus always has had a preference for a person of action. When Jesus is recruiting people for His service, Jesus doesn't go to the folks that are lazy and idle. When God wants a worker, God goes and calls a worker. When He wants a great servant, God goes and finds someone that's busy. When God went to Moses and said, Moses, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses was busy caring for his sheep over near Mount Horeb. When God went to Gideon and said, you're going to judge my people, Gideon was threshing wheat by the wine press. When David was called to be king over Israel, David was out tending his father's sheep. When Jesus said, Matthew, come and follow me, Matthew was busy at his seat of custom collecting taxes. And when Jesus said to Andrew, follow me, Andrew was busy fishing. But you know what? It does not surprise me, not in the least, that this man Andrew became a soul winner. Because you see, his thoughts were to translate into deeds. And his visions translated into service. After Andrew met Jesus, after Andrew spent the day with Jesus, Andrew didn't wait until it was convenient and he and Peter ran into each other. If you go look over in the Gospel according to John, the very first chapter, John tells us he first found his brother Simon and he brought him to Jesus. Once Andrew found Jesus, having found Jesus, he set out immediately to make sure that Jesus was known to others. And not only that, he started at the hardest point. He started with his own family. He started where he was likely to meet the absolute most resistance he was going to meet. You know, to me, one of the most tragic things that there is is when someone passes through this life and the only thing to show they ever lived are the dates on their tombstone. 
There's no life that they've ever touched. There's no lasting legacy that they've left living in the lives of friends and family that they've had an impact on. Have you ever read through those genealogies over in the early part of the book of Genesis? It says about them like Methuselah. He lived to be 969 years old and he died. And that's all we know about him. Nothing else. But Andrew was like Jesus. Andrew was like his master. Andrew says, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is yet day. Interlinked with the presence and interlinked with the work of Jesus, Andrew touched the whole world with his healing hands. Do you remember what happened? When God linked Himself with Moses' rod, as an instrument in the hand of God, that rod was worth more than all the armies of the world. If God could take an old, withered, wooden rod and use it to such an advantage, just think what God could do with Andrew. Just think what God can do with me. And just think what God can do with you. By yielding ourselves to the will of God. The smallest and the weakest among us can become a channel of the blessings of God to those we come in contact with. Jesus said to Andrew, He said, follow me. And He commissioned Andrew the fisherman to be a fisher of men. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a fisherman. You guys know that, right? But I know the difference in catching men and catching fish. You catch fish that are alive and they die. You catch men that are dead. And you catch women that are dead. And you bring them to life through Jesus Christ. Andrew's great passion was bringing souls to Jesus. But here's the thing. Even though Andrew brought souls to Jesus Christ, Andrew was not a great preacher. And however strange this might sound, it's a fact. Men and women have not ordinarily been brought to Jesus Christ and saved by great preaching. Men and women have been saved and men and women have been brought to Jesus because someone loved them enough and someone cared for them enough that they placed themselves alongside them and talked to them out of the fullness of heart about the impact Jesus had on their lives. All great causes are won as average folks become convinced of the value of those great causes.
Andrew was interested in people. He loved people. He was interested in old folks. He was interested in young folks. When Jesus fed those 5,000 people, all the other apostles are over there wringing their hands. What are we going to do? We, we ain't got enough. There's no place to buy this much food. We don't have the money to buy this much food. Lord, what are we going to do? Well, while they're all wringing their hands, Andrew's working among the crowd, talking to people about Jesus. And he ran into this young lad. And he said, well, come with me, son. And he brought that young lad to Jesus. He said, Master, there's a young boy here that's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took that little boy's lunch and He multiplied it by the power of God and He fed 5,000 people. What a place there's going to be when we sit around the throne of God in heaven for folks like Andrew that can see beneath the ragged exterior of lost souls and find a heart that's ready to yield everything they've got to Jesus Christ. Andrew was the kind of guy that would encourage folks to take the tangled mess of their life to Jesus toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. You, you can find some Greeks that, that come to Philip with a very deep problem. And it's a problem that's too much for Philip to handle. He doesn't know what to do about it. He can't figure out how to deal with this. So he hands it off to Andrew. Andrew took it to Jesus. You see, that was the genius of this man, Andrew. He felt like Jesus Christ was equal to any emergency and any difficulty. And He is. I read a story one day about a preacher. Had his had a study at home upstairs in a room. And he was in his upstairs study one day doing some reading and his little girl, a toddler, made her way up the stairs and found the door to his study was closed. And she stood up on her tiptoes and reached her chubby little hand up put her hand on the doorknob and found that she couldn't turn it. But that little girl with the chubby hand was delighted to discover the handle was turning and the door was opening. And she goes running into her father's arms and she says, Oh, Daddy, I opened the door all by myself. Truth. Her father heard her trying to open the door got up from his chair, turned the handle so she could come in. In that same way, God helps those who reach their hands up to the latch. When we put our chubby little hands on the door, God opens the door for us. It's faith in God that makes doors swing open wide. Andrew had the good sense to turn his thoughts away from his fears and turn his thoughts upon God to the child. To a child, the most comforting thought 
is the presence of father or mother. I may have told you this story. I know I've told you this story, but you're going to hear it again. Matt was a freshman in high school. They were having the last scrimmage before football season was going to start. It was one of those controlled scrimmages where the the offense runs a specified number of plays, then the defense runs a specified number of plays. Offense was only going to run two more plays. But being early in the season and not being very adept at what they were doing, the quarterback pitched the ball and the running back dropped it and the ball's rolling around on the ground and here goes Matt headed for the ball and he reaches out an arm to scoop the ball in. And just as he reached that arm out, the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life rolled over that arm and landed right on top of Matt. They finally got the guy off and Matt's just laying there. He's not moving a muscle. They're kneeling, the coaches are kneeling down over him. Don't move. Don't move. We can hear him say that. Norm and I are standing. Uh, it was on the practice field. We're standing way off at the other end of the field. Now, you've got to understand this. Matt had always threatened both of us within an inch of our life if we ever walked out on the field if he got hurt. So we're standing there trying to calmly watch and Wondering, is his neck broke? Is his back broken? What's going on? Well, finally, after seven or eight hours, seemed that way, I said, I'm going to go on out there. And so I walked out there. Now, in case you don't know, Marshall's colors were red and white, and I'm wearing a Red shirt that says Marshall Mavericks and a pair of black slacks and black shoes. After it's all said and done, go out there, we find out that his arm's broken, but they don't want him to move till the trainer gets there. But he told somebody, he said, well, he said, I was laying there and I didn't know what was going on. He said, but I looked over and I saw a pair of black shoes. And I looked up and I saw a big red belly. And I knew that Daddy was there and it was going to be okay. Now, a few days later, when he had surgery to put the plates and the screws and put his arm back together, he wanted Mama to be there to spend the night with him. But out there, he was glad to see those black shoes and that big red belly. Well, you see, to a child, Whatever the day can bring, however lonely and frightened they might be at night, the presence of Mama or Daddy means everything. But for us as adults, for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, the most satisfying experience that we can have is knowing that whatever's going on, God is near. And knowing that God is at hand, we know that someone is there who's equal to anything that life brings us. 
Who was the most useful among the apostles? Which one of Jesus' apostles performed the greatest service? That's impossible to tell. Peter's the one that preached that first sermon on Pentecost, baptized 3,000 people. Peter, along with James and John, they were part of Jesus' inner circle of His closest friends. But, since Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus, to say nothing of the others that Andrew brought to Jesus, it's possible that maybe none of them was more useful than Andrew. If Andrew hadn't first found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus, we might never have had that great sermon on Pentecost. Bringing Peter to Jesus... Andrew became a part of everything that Peter was and everything that Peter did. One day, when all the accounts are settled, we may find that a lot of folks that were thought to be obscure and common were some of God's most outstanding servants because they were the people God could depend on. Those who in a humble and quiet way brought others to Jesus and did the Father's will. Before we can bring others to Jesus, we've got to belong to Jesus. We've got to submit our stubborn will to the will of God. If you need to make changes in your life to submit your stubborn will to God's will, now's the time to do it as we stand. And while we